in Luke chapter 23 again uh, this morning. So if you will, get your eyes on Luke 23, whether that's on a phone or in a Bible or whatever means you have uh, to do so. Uh, This is a glorious passage that we are in today because the gospel of grace is so clearly displayed in in what we see happening in the the words of our Lord and the interaction that he has with these uh, these two men on the cross. Uh, And we're just going to jump right in. And I'll I'll tell you, uh, I'm going to start reading actually in verse 32 and verse 33, just to kind of, because it goes with this passage. And then I'm going to skip down to 39 so you don't get too confused as I'm moving here. You're like, what happened? He just skipped stuff. Yeah, I'm doing it on purpose. Um, So beginning in verse uh, 32, follow along. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now down to 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these two men upon the cross have souls, have souls, not had souls, have souls, and how they respond to Jesus has changed their eternity. Help us to know that, to believe that. Help us to to, to see this as absolutely true. Help us to see ourselves in these two desperate men today as well. Please enlighten our minds as we come to your word as we come to this desirable food that strengthens our souls, we, we grant, ask that you would grant that we may feast upon it this morning together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Isaiah 53, verse 12, there is a, a prophecy. And the prophecy says this. It says, the Messiah will be numbered with the transgressors. Now, one of the ways that this passage sees its fulfillment, right, in the most obvious way, is, is in our passage today. Here are three men, right, hung upon three crosses. All three of these men have been convicted by, by the Roman government, uh, but only two of them are actually guilty. Only two of them actually deserve to be there. The third one hanging upon this cross in the middle, right, this one is innocent. And, and not just innocent, he is holy, Now, it's no accident that these two men were crucified to the left and to the right of Jesus. Clearly, the providence of God is at work, and there is a good reason for these two men to be here. These three crosses here are actually a microcosm of humanity. Uh, You and I, right, we are clearly not the the Christ. We are not the one in the center here. We, We are not the Son of God. We are not the second person of the Trinity, but... Everyone, including you, including me, are like one of these two criminals. Now, Jesus will die on this cross, making payment for the sins of all who who will have faith in him. Jesus will be buried, and three days later, on Sunday morning, he'll be resurrected back to life. But in our passage, it's still Friday, and and we're going to think about that. We're going to look at what's going on there. 
And, and to the left and, and to the right of our Lord are two men who are absolutely, absolutely desperate. That's the, the sense of, of just being on that, that cliff of hopelessness. Not knowing what to do, just, just right on that edge of hopelessness. Uh, right? we, we feel desperation in our life for one of, of two reasons. There's one sense where we come to desperation when everything just feels out of control, like it's chaos, and we assume a bunch of wrong things. Uh, it, when that happens, it's easy for people to spiral into this place of desperation that, that's not a, a reality in a lot of ways, and, and that's not a good way to find yourself in desperation. Now, the other way that we actually find ourselves in a place of desperation is, is when we simply see the situation, we see life, we see where we're at, and, and we actually have some clarity about the bigger things in life, right? The existential things is the way we, we generally talk about this. When your own finiteness becomes real, when we really feel that, that death is, is an inevitable, inescapable thing that we're going to face. And, and one of the reasons that the average American rarely thinks about God, rarely thinks about eternity, rarely thinks about these things, is, is that really as we go through our daily life, most things feel pretty safe to us. Pretty safe. We know that most things, many things at least, that go wrong medically are, are fixable with medicines, with, with antibiotics, with surgery, with all kinds of things, at least fixable for a while. Also in our, our culture, we, we hide death. It's, it's protected behind the walls of, of hospitals. Even those that prepare bodies for burials, right? It's, it's done by professionals out of sight. We, we just don't see that. Death is not before our eyes in, in the way that it actually was before our eyes for the vast majority of all of human history. And so these men on each side of Jesus, they, they don't just have a death sentence that they're waiting for. They're actually in the midst of dying right now. Slow, painful death upon a cross. All three of them could barely breathe, right? Keep that in mind. We tend to hear this like it's just, you know, a conversation over a cup of coffee. Now, all this stuff would have been incredibly labored as they are trying to breathe and, and strain to have this conversation. The difficulty tells you just how important it is that this conversation does take place and that our Lord engages in it. So then let's consider these two criminals. First, the man we will call the blasphemer. That's what I want to call him. Uh, and, and we're going to call him that because you see that, that verse 39 right there. There's that word railed, right? You, you kind of get that idea. He's, he's somehow speaking in, in a certain way at Jesus. He rails at Jesus. Well, well the Greek term translated railed, here's, here's a Greek word for you today, blasphemo. You think you can figure out what that is? Blasphemo, it's kind of like when you try to do Spanish and you just add an O at the end of it, right? <laughs> Greek works the same way, I guess. Blasphemo, to blaspheme. Um, this man blasphemes at Jesus. He mocks Jesus. He speaks evil of Jesus. And it's important that you, you know that, right? That has to be explained to us because those very words could be spoken both positively or ne negatively, right? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Depending upon the tone, that's a very different statement. So anyway, this man blasphemes at Jesus. He speaks evil at him. He is rejecting this idea that Jesus really is the Christ, really is the Messiah. Now, other scriptures tell us that in rejecting Jesus, this man, the blasphemer, the one criminal, is going to be judged by God according to his very own deeds. Not according to Jesus, according to his own deeds. And this man will be found guilty because of his sin, and according to the word of God, he will face the wrath of God in hell forever. This man has some idea of how desperate he is. 
He knows he's going to die, but he fails that there's more to life and death than just that, right? It's not just his body that's in this desperate situation, but it's also his soul that is in this desperate situation. And because he fails to see that, fails to understand that desperation, we see this cruel blasphemy against the Lord, this rejection of the Messiah. So what about the other guy? Is he the good guy in this story? He is not the good guy. In Matthew 27, right? I mean, forget the fact of, of why they're there, right, criminals. I'm saying this. In, in Matthew 27, we, we, we hear a little bit more of what's going on. Uh, it, you know, there's more going on. This is, this is many, many hours that this is happening. And, and there we learn that the Roman soldiers are, are, and, and others are, are mocking Jesus. And, and somewhere at the beginning we hear this. That, that here's what they're saying. They say, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. In that same section, just a few verses later, in Matthew 27, 44, we we read this. And the robbers who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him in the same way. Did you catch anything interesting there? Grammar people, right? There's a little S on the end of that word, robbers. It's both of them. Robbers, plural, right? They, they are saying despicable, blasphemy, blasphemous statements to Jesus. Both of these men actually begin mocking Jesus at the start. But later, one of them has a remarkable change of heart. You understand that, right? Our, our passage comes later, and, and here we see the second criminal actually rebuking the blasphemer. Regarding this, J.C. Ryle says, Both saw and heard all that happened during the six hours that he hung on the cross. Both were dying men and suffered acute pain. Both were equally sinners and needed forgiveness, and yet one died in his sins as he had lived, hardened, impenitent, and unbelieving. The other repented, believed, cried to Jesus for mercy, and was saved. These two responses to the same situation. It always makes our minds wonder, doesn't it? Why, right? The same situation. How come one comes to faith and the other one does not? And we might, we might say, well, the, the Holy Spirit is working in the heart of the one man. And that's absolutely true. But why that man and not the other man, right? We, we, we see the same thing in the world today. Any, any two people can respond to situations absolutely different. The two women hear the, the same sermon and one is broken before the, the Lord. The, the other one is completely unmoved and different. Two men live through the same tragedy, and, and one looks to God for, for meaning coming out of this, while the other one is absolutely hardened against God. To, to one, the gospel is made real and believed. To another, it, it remains hidden and is rejected. Why? I mean, that's always the, the question for us. And how, how is it that you heard the gospel and, and believed it, and yet another person hears the gospel and doesn't? And again, in one sense, we know the answer theologically. It's because of the sovereignty of God. It's, but, but why one person, not another? Now, I, 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 y'all, most of you know my story pretty well, but I came to faith later in life. I was just turned 17. Um, I, I can actually remember, because it happened so late in my life, I can remember hearing uh, a guy almost every week, I'd hear him talk about the gospel, and i think, yeah, couldn't care less. It just right past me like, that's okay, that's what these people believe. Completely unmoved. And I can remember the day I, I, I truly heard it. When, when it really hit me. When, when fear came into me. When, when who Christ is came into me. And then it was a longer process to really start to understand who is Christ. But, 
Uh, there's this point where it actually becomes real, and, and the grace of God, you know, later becomes the most precious thing to me. Isn't the sovereignty of, of God in salvation just an absolutely strange thing? Because it's so out of our control, but yet we can be amazed, right, that, that anyone comes to believe. Anyone. We can be eternally, literally, literally eternally grateful for the grace of God in our lives and in the lives of our fellow believers. But, but also know this, that, that God's sovereignty does not negate anyone's responsibility. Our, our criminal on the cross here, right, one of them actively rejects the Lord. And the other actively receives the Lord. God does something in the second man's heart because everyone's mocking Jesus, uh, you know, he's being called a king, but do- doing so mockingly. And, and even, even this man, right, was mocking him earlier, and, and suddenly he looks to Jesus, and he just knows. This man really is a king. Right? He's a brand new believer. He didn't know much else. He, he wouldn't be able to expound much theologically for you, but, but he knows that Christ is the Messiah, his response shows us that he indeed has true faith in Jesus. Now, look, look back at our passage, right? Verse 40, the man acknowledges that he fears God when he rebukes the blasphemer. He's saying, do you not fear God? Right? He didn't say it, but you, you, it's clear, right? Clearly, suddenly he does fear God. And he goes on, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Uh, secondly, the believer owns his sin. Right? He's saying that, that it is justice for the two of them to be on these crosses being crucified. We, we've actually done the crime. We deserve this. And, and this is a criminal saying, yeah, I am guilty. I am deserving of punishment. This is right and just. That's not so normal. As humans, we have an amazing propensity to do terrible things and then blame it on somebody else for the reason we've done it. Now, I've shared before, right, you'll probably have heard this too many times. Um, in college, I forgot to pay a, a speeding ticket, and I don't know if it happens everywhere, but in Texas, if you don't pay your speeding ticket, it turns into a warrant, uh, which means you get arrested. So I got pulled over. It's a whole story I can tell you someday if you haven't heard the whole thing. Uh, but I get pulled over. I get brought down to the downtown Houston jail, and you just go from section to section. They take your clothes and then give you clothes that don't fit. Um, anyway, I was absolutely terrified. This is like a legit jail that I'm in. Uh, I didn't talk to anyone. I just tried to hold my pants up uh, the whole time because they were too big. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I eavesdropped the entire night, and one of the things I learned is that everybody in jail is innocent. Every one of them. Everyone had some reason on why they had unjustly been arrested, and nobody admitted to being guilty in there. And yet here is this criminal on the cross just confessing his guilt. Not fighting it, not mad at anyone, just confessing his guilt. He, he also acknowledges in verse 41 that unlike the, the two of them, that Jesus is innocent, right? He, he, knows, he knows that Jesus is innocent. And, and finally, he, he proves that he believes Jesus really is a king with a kingdom when he says there in verse 42, right? And this probably sounds like a crazy thing to say to someone while you're dying, but he says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. See, see, in the language of the time, that doesn't mean it like we tend to think of it. Like, 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 don't forget to think about me sometimes. I know I'll be gone, but like, hopefully I'll come to your mind sometimes. That's not what he's talking about. It means something more like, 
don't forget me. Don't, don't leave me here. Take me with you to your kingdom. It's the way like a, a kid might say, Dad, when you leave church today, remember me in the sense of take me with you. Don't forget me. And, and so this new believer knows that, that Jesus isn't just going to die and, and be dead, and that's the end of it, but that he's going to, be, to, to live and that he's going to enter into his own kingdom. Christian, let me ask you this. Do you, do you think of life in light of eternity in the same way? That the life that you now live is really just the start to your life. We, we tend to get so wrapped up. This is all it is. Let's get as much out of it as we can. As much comfort, as much pleasure, as much, you know, whatever it might be. But this is just the start. Eternity is still to come. So then my favorite part of this passage is Jesus' response. Because Jesus could have responded, well, he could have said anything, right? He could have didn't. Yeah, as you said, you deserve this, man. You deserve your punishment. Leave me alone. Or he could have replied, you know what? I've been preaching all throughout this place. You could have come to me at any point. You could have believed then. And now you're so desperate that you want to talk to me. Could have left him hanging like that. We could have just remained silent, right? After all, he's, he's been mocked by all these people. He's remained quiet. Uh, you know, he hadn't responded to anyone. And yet when this broken and contrite sinner in faith calls out to Jesus to be remembered, Jesus does respond. And again, remember, all these words are, are difficult for them to say as they're dying upon a cross. There in verse 43, though, you see it? Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives this desperate man not just hope, but assurance. Jesus is saying, because your faith is in me, the, the, the second you die in death, you will be alive with me in paradise. What, what this man receives here is salvation, but, but what he also receives is a, a peace, a, a real peace, a peace that is present even in this amazing desperation that he's in, even as he knows that his end is coming, that it's no longer his end. I, I know we often look forward to eternity because we want to be with Christian grandparents, because we want to be with children and parents and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ that we know who have died and gone to be with the Lord, and, and that's something we long to be reunited with. And you know, we, we desire that, and that's not a wrong desire. It's a fine desire. It's a good desire. But even more than that, even if, if we don't emotionally feel it today, if we don't think about it on a day-to-day -day basis, but more than anyone else, the reason that you and I will be satisfied in eternity is that Jesus is there. You and I have, have only just begun to know how glorious and wonderful and merciful that our Lord is. We, we've really only just begun. And that's even if you feel it strongly, you've, you've only just begun to know that. Now, did you notice <clears throat> Jesus doesn't just say that someday, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right at the, the very moment of death, the, the soul of, of a believer goes immediately to be with Christ, to be in fellowship while we do await the final resurrection of our bodies, right? You can learn more about in 2 Corinthians 5 if you're interested in that. Now, now the criminal, this, this new believer, uh, died on the cross that day, and at that moment, you know, he was with Jesus in paradise. 
Now, paradise, we have all these different concepts of it, right? Uh, I tend to think of a beach and a palm tree uh, with my feet up, watching the waves, something like that. That's not what he's saying. You might picture something else. It might be skiing down a mountain you picture. Paradise is this, this Persian word that he's using here, right? That just means garden. Uh, here he's using it in, in the sense of just another word for, for heaven, eternity. Now, there's not a lot of details laid out here, and we're not supposed to be digging into this through a lot of details, but, but understand this. If, if Jesus is using the word paradise, you know that's a good thing. That's a real good thing. Whatever he means by paradise here, that's a good thing. And, and so what an amazing work of providence then in this man's life, right? Because think about this. He could have been crucified a day later, a week later, right? He could have been crucified on a, a different hill, uh, but God, in his grace, used this terrible event. In fact, one of the most worst events in his entire life, right? The moment he's like, you know what? We are going to crucify you. Okay, that's not good news. That's horrible. That's his execution. And yet God uses this worst thing in his life, this execution, to bring about the greatest thing that ever happened to him, ever. That he meets Jesus. That he receives faith. That his sins forgiven. And make no mistake, he, he is saved by God's grace alone. This man could not lift a finger to do anything to earn salvation. Truly, literally, right? Because his hands and his nails are, or hands and feet are nailed to a cross at this moment. This, he wasn't baptized. He never tithed. He made no amends for anything. He did nothing but trust in Jesus. He was saved by grace and by grace alone. Now, it's worth noticing or noting here that trusting in Jesus did not change his life circumstance, right? He didn't come to faith in, in, in Jesus and, and given a second chance, you know, come on down from the cross, live again. Maybe, maybe you can do it better this time. There's nothing like that. The, the only thing that changes is his relationship with God. He changes from this rebellious enemy of God, sinner in the eyes of God, and into, into this precious child of God. And of course, his eternity changes. Uh, up until this moment, the criminal's crucifixion was the end of everything for him because it only gets worse from there. Now, it, it, it is... It, it's, it's this new existence, right? He, into a, an eternal, better existence is what he gets. And what a glorious day for him. And guys, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't have a death wish. I, I don't want to die you know, when my doctor tells me, you know, you should stop eating this, I do my best to do it, I, I try to exercise, I listen to my doctor. I don't step in front of buses, because that's how pastors always are sold they're, they're going to die for some reason. I, I don't want to, to leave Laura, I don't want to leave my kids, I don't want to leave pastoring uh, you, but I, I know that when I do die, but before there is even a pronouncement of my death, and this is, same, is, is true for you if your faith is in Christ, before they even pronounce that, that I am dead, I will be in the presence of my Lord. There is nothing that can bring more peace to life than knowing that. To know that at death, Jesus will welcome me into paradise, into the presence of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for me. That this is why we, we can say with Paul in Philippians 1.21, that crazy weird statement, right? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And you always hear anything, to die as gain. I don't think you understand death, Paul. Yeah, he does. He understands it far greater than any of us seem to. To die is gain because to die is to, to see Christ face to face fully. 
in ways that we, we just haven't experienced fully yet. So then I want to consider one more aspect here, <clears throat> because it's virtually the same guy on, on each side of Jesus, right? Both are convicted criminals being executed. Both are, at the start, are mocking Jesus, rebellious against him, and, and yet something changes. One continues to, church, to curse Jesus. The other suddenly confesses Jesus. You see, we are all either the blasphemer or we are the believer. And again, let me be clear that the reason for this is God's election. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in this man, and that is absolutely biblical true. But there's another way to look at this that I, I kind of want to look at today, and, and it's this, that both of these men are in an absolute desperate situation, but, but only one of them truly knows how desperate he is. In salvation, it's, it's not for the deserving, it's for the desperate. Now, until you know that you are desperate, you simply will not care. You won't. Not, not long ago, I was, I was searching for something. I cannot remember what it is. Sometimes, do you ever do that where you're trying to find some information? Next thing you know, you're like, how did I get here? Um, anyway, I ended up in this scanned Google book about the history of pirates in the 17th and 1800s, or 17th and 1800s. Um, I, I didn't read much, but one section really, you know, it, it's telling these stories that caught my attention because it's talking about these men who are being led to the gallows and, and hung and you know, because, well, because they're pirates, and pirates, that's what you do, right? It's a crime. Uh, it, it was a, a secular history book, uh, which made it even more intriguing when the author explained how these men were allowed to speak before they were actually hung, and, and you got to kind of see some of their words have been recorded, and many of them are just angry, right? Yelling at people, or this, you know, somehow this is unjust, and all that kind of thing. Uh, some of them Saul, they were truly desperate, and, and they would profess their faith in God and cry out for mercy, and, and then they'd be hung. And, and from at least from the author's perspective, or whoever was writing back then, uh, had this sense of peace, at least on the outward. Uh, one man, this guy, you know, Pirate Scudamore. I don't know if you put pirate as a title or not. Scudamore. Uh, not a Christian. <clears throat> anyway, he, he's led to the gallows, and he asked uh, for three more days so that I can study the scriptures and so that I can pray. That's his request. And shockingly, they said, okay, yeah, that'd be fine. Uh, they give him three more days, and, and then when, he, when he's led to the gallows three, three days later, he, he's now professing faith in Christ. He's reciting the first portion of Psalm 31, uh, which begins, right? In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame, and your righteousness deliver me. And, and the section he's reading concludes with these words, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And then they hang him. And you and I say, and he's dead, right? But the real thing going on is, and he's with Jesus. Criminal. Hang him and he's with Jesus. There, there is something about knowing how truly desperate we are that prepares us to look to Jesus with faith. Right? Psalm 51, 17, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And listen, we are all far more desperate, more fragile than we tend to be aware of. It, it, it seems, uh, I don't know if anyone else is like, my mom, when I call her, she always tells me these worst stories ever. Um, like people dying stories. Uh, you know, she'd tell me this one story, this guy, he's perfectly, he went into the ER for something little and they're like, you're fine, you, you know, go out, you're healthy. And he walks out and he drops dead. I'm like, mom, why would you tell me that story? I don't even know this guy. Or, or, or she'll start with, you know, all these stories begin with how healthy some person is, about my age. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm like, Mom, he dies, right? I know he dies. I'm sure he dies because 
all your stories are like Nicholas Sparks books, right? Someone dies in the end. And, and she'll just keep going. Like, uh, I'll put her on speakerphone just for my, you know, rest of my family's entertainment sometimes. <clears throat> because everyone, you know, someone dies at the end. That's how it goes. And she'll finish the story anyway. I know, yeah, he does die. But let me tell you about this. Uh, anyway, there's just, just this, this clarity of our finiteness is actually a, a gift of God. Knowing you will die, knowing you're a sinner, knowing that you are deserving of, of the wrath of God and that your soul will actually exist forever either way, right? Th- these can be creepy thoughts, really creepy thoughts that we don't want to have. These are uncomfortable thoughts, but they're also a good gift to the Lord. It's, you know, for it, it's, it's not the one who, who thinks she's deserving or everything's fine, but, but she who is truly desperate who receives grace. That's when we go to the Lord, right? Now, our desperation leads us to Jesus. You know, every once in a while, someone uh, objecting to Christianity will say something like, Jesus is for the weak. Like, somehow that settles the argument. Like, oh. And it used to bother me. It really did, because I didn't want to be weak. I, I wanted to fight against that idea. No, he's not. Right? You know, I'm young and strong. Look at me. Uh, but, but the more I understand the grace of God, the, the more comfortable I am with responding, something along the lines of, amen. Jesus is for the weak. In the biblical sense, we're all weak. Truly. Or, you know, when I hear people say, only the strong survive, and I can't help but think, that is, do you know how dumb that statement is? Nobody survives. Nobody. Right? Everyone's talking about survival rates of COVID and stuff like that, but you really want to step back, right? 100% of people on this planet will die. Yeah? How's that for a motivating statement for you today? You will die. Everyone will die. You will die and you will die. Your dog will die. Everyone will die. And listen, this is not just an evangelistic message. It's, it's for, for you, Christian, for us, because we drift. We forget how desperate we are without Jesus. We forget how sweet grace and mercy of our Lord really is. I need to remember on a daily basis that Jesus will remember me and take me with him. To remember that daily. You know, as David Platt once said, and I love this quote, he said, more than we need to be healed of cancer, we need to be cleansed of sin. But when we know our eternity is secure in Christ, that our souls will be with God immediately and that we will be made whole again with physical bodies at the resurrection, when we know this stuff, that's where we find peace. And this, this truth puts all other areas of life in perspective, doesn't it? Sometimes we need that perspective. Always we need that perspective. Now, now, don't hear me saying give up on everything else. You know, give up on sports. Give up on academic and career success and, you know, those kind of things. <clears throat> but those are not your everythings. It is not your everything. Jonathan Edwards has, has said, uh, I love this quote, he says, To go to heaven and to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Such a Puritan to say accommodations, right? It's better than anything we experience here. Whatever the most amazing thing you experience in this last year, eternity is better than that. The least of eternity is greater than the best of this life now. Okay, so finally, think about this. Again, right? Two criminals, very similar. 
you could almost copy and paste their similarities, but today only one of them is with Jesus in paradise. The, the blasphemer will face eternity apart from Jesus. This is real. Outside of the kingdom, in the place where God's word calls it hell. Right? And you get into all about what that actually means. But you know this much. It's not a good thing. While the believer is with Jesus in paradise and, and will be resurrected to eternal life with Jesus in his kingdom. <clears throat> While you have breath, you can turn to Jesus, repenting, believing in him, trusting in him with faith and find peace. Now, for those of us who, who know our desperate state and, and we have faith in Jesus, I want to end with this, this quote from Paul, Paul Tripp, and then we'll pray. He says, no matter how mundane routine and slowly progressing your story seems to be it is marching towards a glorious conclusion there will be a moment when god will raise you out of this broken world into a paradise where sin and suffering will be no more that's why we can say as god's people come lord jesus come lord jesus let's pray heavenly father your word is truth Make our feeble hearts to believe it. May we enjoy and, and be grateful for the gift of this life and, and also learn to, to look with expectation to the life to come, all because Jesus died for our sins and was the first of many who will be risen back to life, to eternal life with you. Lord, Lord give us faith or give us renewed faith in, in Jesus, who is our, our Lord, who is our Savior, and who loves us. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.